1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Tuesday night here in the DMV area, and of course, this team never sleeps, as we know. Tuesday was a particularly busy day. Earlier in the day, we had some news on the coaching staff now that Eric Bieniemy is on board as offensive coordinator. And tonight, I've got some information regarding Duran Payne and the commander's plans. I'll get to both of those things in a second. In addition, the guest today, we've obviously talked a lot about Bieniemy. There's still a lot of questions, particularly with his time in Kansas City, his role. Do, do we think he's going to be a good Uh, a good coordinator as a play caller, I should say. He's been a coordinator. Um, What do we make of him? Rather than the rest of us sort of guessing what went on in Kansas City, I sought somebody out who was in the room with him, and that is former Chiefs offensive tackle Mitchell Schwartz, a four-time Pro Bowler who was on the first Chiefs Super Bowl team. Uh, We spoke earlier today to get his view on Biennium, a guy he obviously was around a lot during his time in Kansas City. Uh, Schwartz was also there during the Alex Smith era when Matt Nagy was the offensive coordinator before enemy. So we talked a lot about, you know, how do you tell when an offensive coordinator is working with a player like Patrick Mahomes and a coach like Andy Reid? What what he's what he's doing? Uh, what is uh, what does Mitchell Schwartz think of enemy and so on? So we got a lot of that. I think you guys are going to find it really interesting. So we'll get to all that in a moment. Make sure, of course, you subscribe to the podcast iTunes, Spotify, wherever you do your podcasting. I'll be at the Combine next week, so you won't want to miss those conversations. Uh, And so, you know, make sure you do that. In addition, check out The Athletic, because obviously I'll have a lot of articles next week at the Combine, plus more here. I had a brand new Washington-only mock draft up today, as well as the news I'm about to tell you about now, and that is about Deron Payne. It's not the most surprising news, but I was told by multiple sources that Washington is expected to place a franchise tag on Payne. Uh, I go into more detail on the site as to why that seems to be logical, but I think you guys – look, you guys are listening to me. You're smart people, obviously. Um, (laughs) So you guys have a feel, I think at this point, if you've been paying attention to what's going on, both in terms of Payne's desires for getting a multi-year deal, but maybe Washington – Doesn't have the um, ability to give him what he might want, both because of Dan Snyder selling the team and therefore, or let me rephrase, Dan Snyder looking to sell the team. I don't know what's going to happen for sure. But Dan Snyder exploring that option. And, you know, typically an owner in that spot is not going to want to take on a big deal the way Payne's would be. John Allen got that four for 72 million with about 35 million guaranteed. Payne's would be above that, potentially a decent amount above that. If the market goes away, it, it sounds like it will. So that's one aspect of it. And then, of course, it doesn't make a, lo- a lot of asset allocation sense, as you heard me discuss, to extend four defensive linemen. They still have to make calls on Montez Sweat and Chase Young at some point here. So uh, that's what's going on with there. And, again, you can check out more on The Athletic. I will just say, you know, they the, the 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 tag window opened today, meaning Tuesday, And goes until, I don't have the date in front of me, I think it's March 7th, to place the tag on a player. There's no real rush in theory, but I wouldn't, you know, I'd say keep an eye out possibly for something happening before the combine. But we'll see if if that's the way it plays out. But it could be, something could be happening sooner than later, but at a minimum, they do have until March 7th. And then they have until July to get a deal done or he would play on the tag. This is assuming that, you know, Payne is, is willing to do that. I, you know, at some point you run out of options, but that's, what's going on there on the coaching front, which is what I thought would be the lead story when I started this, uh, podcast tonight. So two moves here to, to note, first off the first true change since the enemy came on board, the team has parted ways with, uh, senior offensive assistant, Jim Hostler. Hosler was one of the people who came over with uh, Ron Rivera from Carolina. He helped Scott Turner uh, with the uh, with the game plans. He did a lot of advanced scouting. Um, He's been around for a while. He was a former offensive coordinator with the 49ers. Uh, so they are moving on from Jim Hosler. In addition to that, Drew Terrell, we talked about this a little bit the other day, that Drew Terrell, the wide receiver coach, he had been asked, the Arizona Cardinals were interested in interviewing him for their offensive coordinator position. That position is now filled. However, Terrell is leaving Washington that much. I can say report. And it appears based on multiple other reports that he's going to Arizona in some capacity. So what does any of this mean for Washington? Well, obviously you got to replace at least the wide receiver coach. I don't know what it means for um, the Hossler position, but I said the other day, it'll be interesting to see what what changes they make. At a minimum, you would think that Beanie would want somebody on board who's like a confidant, somebody that maybe he knows, sees the world uh, of, of football in the same way, and would, that could be the person that would fill a, the hostler role. And as far as a wide receiver coach goes, you know, I, they need to they need to fill that. We'll just leave it leave it at that. So that's what's going on. So far on that part of the deal, we'll learn more presumably about their plans in total Thursday when the enemy uh, holds has his first press conference with Rivera will be there, obviously. So we'll see what else if anything else happens in between them. I don't know for sure that anything else will happen um, possible, but I, I don't know for sure at this point, at least not enough to to give you any real thought. So just, we'll, we'll just see what happens here over the next 48 hours, but you know, they could obviously, um, typically the combine is often viewed as where teams will sort of lock in their staff or, or make changes. So they have a few more days as well. Um, all right. So that's it for me. Let's get to my conversation with Mitchell Schwartz. Really interesting. We also, by the way, talked about what kind of offensive linemen he think makes sense for what the enemy may be running based on Andy Reed's, uh, philosophy and principles but also Bienemy's demeanor and we t- t- talked about mahomes and a bunch more really really fun conversation so here we go mitchell schwartz pro, former pro bowl tackle with the chiefs talking eric Bienemy here on the standard group only podcast all right obviously the eric enemy topic is still a big one attempt still like it's going away anytime soon it's going to be a topic here for uh commander's world for a bit and you know it's one thing for all of us to keep speculating about what what was going on with kansas city what was the role how might he do here let's let's talk to somebody who actually has been in the room with him uh fortunately we have that right here we've got uh, with us mitchell schwartz who's a former offensive tackle starting tackle for kansas city chiefs teams that did really really well uh, and he is also a, a big deal on twitter i can always tell if somebody's a big deal on twitter uh mitchell thanks for joining me is when and i'll be honest, I had not been following you until basically now, not for any reason other than just like, you know, I follow like 1200 people It's like, I keep seeing you constantly retweeted into my timeline or people who I know are constantly talking to you. So I think that's gotta be says something about your, both your, your willingness to engage with us, which is maybe you need to, you, you need to think about that. Cause you know, social media is a mess, but also the, uh the high regard that people have for you. So with all that said, thanks for joining me.
0: Yeah, thank you. I think that is, you know, the best endorsement is people care enough to share your word and to spread it along. Uh, You know, I keep a relatively short uh, Twitter following list because back when Twitter used to be what it was and I could use a third party app, you know, I was able to catch up on everything in chronological order, which, you know, should be the way that that program works. But apparently it doesn't now. So (laughs) I tried to keep things relatively tight so I could actually like catch up on everything from the people I was uh, following. So yeah, to, to bring someone new into the old Twitter mix, you know, I'd have to see them get retweeted a bunch into my timeline and uh, then you'd start to get an understanding for them and and start to follow them. So I appreciate that. And, you know, I guess thank you to all the people that retweeted me onto your timeline. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's the thing, right? I mean,
1: everybody can, you know, we all have differences of opinions. Needless to say, um, and you know, someone like me, you know, I've been following the sport my whole life. I now cover the teams. I think I know what I'm talking about, but you know, when it comes to certain aspects, how yeah, how ha- ha- how can how can how can many of us say? Well, we'll act like we all have opinions, and that's what gets so annoying sometimes about social media. But you, you know, actually, the people who know what is happening, even like the exes, I don't know how much you pay attention to, like the the film people, the exes and those people um and like oh they should have done this the quarterback should have thrown it there and I'm always like "Ah, I don't know is that is that is that a right or b you're thinking on you have to do this on the fly how do you know like do you ever look at those people like oh come on well what what are you talking about here
0: yeah a little bit you know admittedly I don't know as much about the quarterback position so I'm not really in a position to you know see that stuff and be like oh he's wrong or he's right um you know you kind of get of things I mean you know Whoever. yeah i was gonna get linemen i was gonna get there linemen is a different story there's not too many you know qualified people on uh twitter putting out line videos and so there's there's a couple guys that i like to follow but for the most part you know you just don't see uh, a ton of good stuff so that's where i i enjoy like the teaching part and unfortunately it's like easier to teach when someone gets something wrong because then you can say like this is actually what you should be seeing or this is my interpretation of what's happening right um you know the hard part with that is then you just become the correcting guy, and you're always seen as uh, the one who's always trying to strike down everybody else, and that's not a good position to be in either. So there's kind of that line where like you kind of use what you see to help inform people, um, but you also don't want to just be the guy that's like you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And I I am by no means a you had to have played the game to talk about it or to understand it. Like there's a lot of really qualified people who talk about football for a living and are on social media and are on TV. And they do a good job of it, and they do better than a lot of former players who just kind of use their name to, you know, get jobs and then just kind of spew whatever they want because they don't necessarily have to put in the same amount of work or the same qualifications. So I'm not that guy that's, you know, you had to have played to be be talking about football. Um, But if you are going to talk about it, you know, I would expect kind of a certain level of um, competency, especially if you're, you know, draft guru, XO, and, you know, that's kind of the brand that you're building to, to be someone who evaluates football. Um, but there are, I mean, there's a lot of really talented people who are learning about football and who are talking about it and who, you know, teach me stuff and and open my, uh, or broaden my horizon. So I think, you know, there's a lot of negative to social media, but there's also a lot of positive And there's a lot of people that love the game and love to share and, and are eager to teach people.
1: Yeah, you yeah, know, that's true. Uh, and, and like, I have a guy, Mark Bullock, who covers, he focuses ho- solely basically on the commanders, and he does a really good job. And obviously, there's some of the more national people, um, a- as well with, with, obviously, with advanced stats, you get a lot more information. Um, and that's what can also make it pretty interesting. And, you know, again, depending whose hands it falls into, maybe dangerous um but um but that said, like you know one thing that's always fascinating is I I mean you playing with Kansas City means you got to play with with Patrick Mahomes and needless to say he's really really good but I feel like a lot of the stuff that he does like if you said this like it's like when Steph Curry became one of the faces of the NBA and he's shooting from thirty feet away you're like okay and and then you see like the subsequent generation is starting to do that when they're playing in like you know AAU League or younger you're like okay Look, I get that he's really good, but like his, some of the stuff he's doing is like that. It's not like, it's not that it's not fundamentally good. It's just like, you can't, that's Superman. Don't, don't, you're not, you're Clark not at best. Don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> when you watch him at times, or is it sort of like, okay, what, what is happening here? How does he, what was like the point where you were like, wait, what is going on here?
0: Yeah, you know, one of my favorite stories. So his rookie year, he obviously didn't play that season. Alex played and mentored him, and there's been plenty of stories about that, especially you know covering Washington about Alex and how good of a guy he is. Yeah, but I got to play with Pat in the Week 17 game, which we had locked up. I think the one seed, you know, we had nothing to play for. Coach sat most of the starters as many as he could, and Pat played and started, and I was working on a snap streak. So I kind of petitioned to to be on the field, but I also wanted to you know help guide Pat through it and. Um, you know, they were going to split the reps between me and fish. So one of us was going to basically be playing a full game. So I just said, I'll take the full game and be out there. And towards the end of the game, I think it was, it was a bit of a weird game. You know, we got out to a lead. I think they pulled Pat, they brought in the backup, you know, we turned it over. Uh, Denver came back on us a little bit, got to tie game. Pat actually got put back into the game and so it's a tie game and we're going down the field to you know go kick a field goal very similar to this last Super Bowl uh stakes are you know a little bit different but uh, (laughs) a similar situation that it's a tie game with the ball late in the fourth and, and you're trying to get in the field goal range to score and I remember he rolled out and he threw a pass to I think it was Demetrius Harris one of our tight ends and it was one of those you know Mahomes passes on the run that's you know the guy is double covered and he puts it in just a spot where, you know, it's a bit of a jump ball. Demetrius goes up for it. He doesn't make the catch and might've been, you know, batted away or something as well. And I remember going up to Pat and saying, you know, Hey, I think we're at the midfield or something. So we had already kind of started the drive. And I remember going up to him and saying, Hey, you know, be smart here. You know, we're, we're in pretty good shape. You know, we don't want any turnovers. Got to keep advancing the ball. And I thought I was being a good veteran and helping out the young guy. And now looking back on it, I think to myself, you know he's probably telling thinking to himself or wanting to tell me like dude i got this like i know exactly what i'm doing (laughs) yeah Uh, because it's it's we've seen enough of those plays by this point to know that it's all very calculated he's able to take all the information in and make those split second honestly probably subconscious decisions and he tends to be right on the majority of them and so you know you could say oh that looked risky he was throwing a double coverage but he's made the calculation that based on the underneath player and the guy over the top and the guy he's throwing to and the height and the speed, like I can put it just in the spot where it's not really as risky as it looks. Um, so those are the things that you start to appreciate the more you're around him is, you know, it gets back to his college evaluation. You know, why was he considered a, a Brett Favre a gunslinger? Why were there questions? Well, he was playing for a team with like the worst defense in college football and they were giving up 60 points a game. So he went into every game and he had to think, and he had to know, like, we got to score 50 points to even be in this. And so, yeah, you have to be a little risky to to get that kind of uh, volume in in a football game. And so you start to realize that all those things are calculated and that he has just such a mastery. And I, I love the Steph comparison because, you know, it's not just that Steph's a good shooter. What makes him a good shooter is that at any given angle, anytime he's jumping, anytime he's off rhythm, he can self calibrate and know exactly how much mustard he needs to put on the ball to get it to go in the middle of the hoop. And that's kind of the way Pat is. He's able in any given situation to take into account like this entire field, all 22 guys, including himself, and kind of know what that situation requires. And so even if he's looking to the right and he's got Kelsey to the right and another guy, he's got this like supernatural feel that he can kind of understand what's happening on the backside. So when he's throwing those, you know, crossbody late in the play, throws 20 yards down the field that every quarterback coach would <laughs> yell at their guy for throwing. Like he's been through, like he, I don't remember him ever getting picked off on one of those plays where he's throwing like across the back, across the field because he's just got that understanding of where everybody is. So it's, it's really cool. It's really special. And you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to play a few years with him.
1: Yeah, and, and I always think one thing that's so interesting about a player at that level is, and this is sort of what we'll get into is like, People was like, like what they did with the Patriots. How much of that success was Bill Belichick? How much of that success was Tom Brady? And even with, say, Tom Brady, how much of his success was because he landed with Bill Belichick and Bill Belichick helped, you know, coach him up and things along those lines? Obviously, Brady was a six round pick. So you probably give the coaches, certainly early on, even more credit. Whereas, like, Mahomes was uh, the 10th pick, right? 10th, yes, 10th uh, pick. Um, so, you know, still pretty high up, even if he should have been probably, you know, the first pick. <laughs> um, uh, and, and that's always what's interesting. Obviously, Andy Reid now gets a lot of credit as one of the best coaches uh, of all time, right? Two Super Bowls, three appearances in five years. On top of the fact he had really good success before uh, with the Eagles as well. But, you know, couldn't win the big one. Everybody kept saying. So, therefore, you know, he was sort of knocked down a little bit. And hopefully that's um, re- recalibrating itself. but it's always like, yeah, so how much is anybody how much are the coaches at how much is it the coaches? How much is it Mahomes? I obviously it's a it's a blend of the two, but as somebody who has been in there, like what what is that line of when when Kansas City is running whatever it is they're they're, they're running their offense and it's the 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 coaches are calling X and Mahomes executes X, but he's executing X with what you just said he's 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 seeing everything on the field and he's like the world's best mathematician in that moment able to calculate all these things what's that line between that the the coaching the play calling versus what that guy's able to do
0: yeah it's a good question I mean it's hard to say you know this percentage goes of this guy but I think it's fair to look at what the Chiefs were able to do with Alex and then look at what the Chiefs have done with Pat and kind of compare the two trajectories because you know you'd Probably argue that the defenses were a little bit better, you know, on the whole coach's first five years with Bob Sutton and some of the takeaway numbers and what they're able to do. And back in the heyday with Derek Johnson and um, Tomba Lee and Justin Houston, you know, those were really good defenses. Right. And the offense had a certain ceiling on it because, you know, Alex is a really good quarterback, but coach was playing towards his strengths and also playing towards the strengths of, this, of the skill guys around him you know there's the one season where I think there were zero touchdowns caught by a wide receiver for an entire season which is pretty wild to think about and it kind of became you know the stigma that you know coach Reed is just horizontal passing offense doesn't throw out past the sticks all that stuff and we've come to realize that that's just not true it's just that's what the personnel dictated he played to his guys strengths and so you kind of take Alex out of the situation following a year where he was statistically the best downfield passer in the NFL in in 2017. And you input Pat and you've got a lot of the same players and a lot of the same ecosystem. And all of a sudden we get to overtime of the AFC championship game that we're hosting against New England and Tom Brady. And then the next year we win the Super Bowl. And the next year we're back in the Super Bowl. And the next year, another hosted AFC championship game. And the next year, a Super Bowl victory. So, I think it's fair to say that, you know, there's a big jump from Alex to Pat and that's no slight against Alex. We're just, we're literally seeing what could be the greatest quarterback of all time. And I would say the best, you know, five-year stretch, maybe if not all time, but um, one of the greatest five-year stretches of any quarterback that we've seen. So, yeah. Pat's a big part of that. And his individual set, his ability to take all that same coaching, all the same input and, you know, to output the success he's had, um, you know, speaks to the blend of what coach is able to do. And then the ceiling that Pat is able to give you.
1: Um, Yeah, no, that's a great comparison point. Cause you're right. I mean, obviously we're, we're in these parts, we're aware of Alex Smith. Um, we were aware of Alex Smith even before we got here, but you know, we're, we're keenly aware of the, the floor to ceiling and aspect of it, and how Mahomes right was able to take things to another level. Um, so if there's always this debate, fun debate, hopefully, but a debate of like where wh- what's the you know how much credit do you give a coach, how much credit do you give a quarterback, or really you know kind of anybody within within a, within a system, it feels like it's even a lot trickier than to determine what what input an assistant is going to have. I always think whenever uh, any assistant is hired anywhere if they have never been if we've never seen them in the head job before and then especially if they're on the same side of the ball as the head coach and people say wow what a great hire i'm always like how on earth am i going to possibly know what whether this assistant is has the goods or not because it's also an assistant you're focused typically either on a certain position or the offense as a whole if it's a coordinator but at the head coach, it's a whole different deal. You've got to be the quote unquote leader of men. You've got to set the tone, the culture. You've got to be on top of everything. So you're, you know, it's really a different t- skill set almost. Which is why, whenever you know, not just Eric Bieniemy, but like I said, any anybody, I'm like, how 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 do you know wh- whether they have the goods? But I imagine people in the locker room probably have a better feel because you're around them all the time. You're in the meetings with them. You at least have a feel for. How they think, how they communicate, what have you—is that—is that, is that a fair from your perspective? In because obviously, right? So you were there with uh, Matt Nagy. Were you there with Peterson also? Or
0: no, I wasn't. I got there right after Peterson. Okay,
1: so you were there with, with with Nagy as well. So like, so you've seen you've seen some of that. So like, is that like, how do you in the locker room uh, assess like the assistants and their contributions, and then potentially could they elevate to a different job?
0: Yeah, it's something that. As an offense alignment, especially, you don't quite know how the pass game gets broken down and how kind of the full offense gets apportioned and called and all that stuff. You know, from our perspective, we tend to break things up in terms of meeting. So we would meet as a full offense. We would install the run game together because that involves the tight ends and the receivers and the running backs. And then, you know, Coach Reed would handle screens. Obviously, he's notorious for a screen game, so he handles that. And then we leave. And we go do our offensive line thing and we kind of focus on run game. We focus on protections and I don't get to see, you know, who's installing what I don't know even behind the scenes, you know, how they come to, this is the game plan. This is the pass game. This is short yardage. This is red zone. This is two minute. And and from my perspective, I have no idea. And, you know, coach had the same, I guess, installation system of again, offensive line coach does the run game uh, coach Ruby does the screens we leave really the only other time we meet as an offense that we see anything is Saturday night at the hotel. Um, in which case, you know, the offensive coordinator, the enemy or back when it was Nagy, they would do a red zone cut up and show you, you know, kind of all the different segments of the red zone, what to expect, you know, certain against certain coverages, certain plays we have. And then they'd hand it over to coach Reed. He would install the first 15 and that was kind of it. And you had maybe a Saturday morning meeting where, Again, it would be EB as the offensive coordinator or before him, Nagy as the offensive coordinator who's running through, you know, two minute calls and all the different signals and and situations. And again, that's offensive coordinator driven. Um, But beyond that, like I I couldn't tell you who's coming up with the stuff, who's creating it. Um, So that's something that's not really my purview. Now I can obviously digest the way they install stuff. You can see how they talk to guys that you can see how, uh, at practice, who's talking to who and who's in control of things. And so that's stuff yeah, you definitely pick up on. And, uh, I think, you know, your point's a good one is we just have no idea who's going to become a good head coach because it's not, as we've learned strictly, are you a good offensive mind? Like there's so much more that goes into it that winning cures a lot of things, but you can be the most brilliant, you know, offensive coordinator you get up in front of a team, you're really bland. They don't agree with the message. Uh, you don't get guys excited. You don't get guys to buy into practice every day and they can be running your system, which is really advanced and really you know good. And the, just the results aren't there because the energy is not there or because there's just some missing piece. And so um, there are times where guys can, you know, again, have that good offense or that good defense and you win for a little bit. And then eventually the message gets lost and guys kind of tune out a bit and, you know, as the play decreases, you're uh, given a lot less latitude as the as the head coach uh, once you've assumed that role. And so it, it is interesting that, you know, especially in today's cycle, everyone's looking for the next, you know, kind of young offensive coordinator because that guy is supposedly, you know, the Andy Reid, who is now going to be the head coach for 20 years. He's always going to be in control of the offense. You know, that's at least the most stable part of your program. And as we've learned, offense is less variable year to year than defense, and so if you've got a good offense, you can, you know, reliably predict that it's going to be similarly good in in the upcoming seasons with similar personnel. So, um, it's just hard to know which one of those guys is going to be the one that succeeds and which isn't.
1: Yeah, no, uh, no, no, no doubt, of, no doubt about it. Um, so that said, you know, you're you're there. Eric Bannemie is is there. You're around him, and you obviously, you know, you talk to teammates as well who are you know in his room and and maybe. The meetings when you guys go elsewhere are still in some of these meetings. What was your what, what was your sense being around Eric Bien-Ami of Just both the guy and also the communicator. We've heard maybe the one thing we've heard consistently is he's uh, he's not afraid to get on his guys. Um, you know he's, he's got a, a, an aggressive, tough mindset. What, what's just your what, what's what was your sense of Bieniemy the the person and uh, you know the, a, a coach?
0: Yeah, no, that's definitely true. I mean, he's he's the type to be kind of constantly talking and he's so passionate about things that um, you know he's kind of the coach that would get on guys a little bit more but it's always in the sense of like accountability and it's in the sense that like he expects more from you and he expects more from himself and he expects more from the offense and so I think he's incredible at holding guys accountable Um, especially when you've got you know a unit like uh, the Kansas City Chiefs offense where you're going to be Good, regardless, and it's very easy to get complacent, and it's easy to, you know, August fourteenth, you're in your you know six padded practice in a ten day stretch, and it's ninety eight degrees in St. Joe, and you're not feeling good. You go out to practice, you're just trying to get through it. You know, he's the voice that's pushing you to you know practice hard, to that pushes you that this isn't right, this needs to be better. Um, so I think he's excellent at that, and that's where this conversation gets interesting because like I said, I don't really know the whole offensive coordinator breakdown. I don't know, you know, is he the passing game guy? Is he not, you know, are you bringing him as as the offensive coordinator? But if you bring him in as the head coach, you're probably going to get one of the best guys at holding the team accountable at delivering his message at making sure that every single day guys are bought in, they're excited, they're ready to work. And if you step on the field and you're not ready to go, he's going to make sure that you're ready to go. And I think that's what you're loving in a, in a coach. And i I kind of look at Dable last year in New York, where he comes in as, you know, that offensive coordinator, the guy who's going to bring stability. This is what he did with Josh Allen, all the stuff. And then he hires Kafka and by all appearances, it seems like Kafka was the one who was running things. And I think there were articles that, you know, Kafka was given that role and, and gets to call plays. And so Dable kind of becomes more of the CEO and we've seen him on the sidelines, ripping Daniel Jones, yelling at the guys, being more of that kind of feisty, fiery uh, guy who's built in who's holding everybody accountable. So, isn't that kind of like Evie's wheelhouse right there to kind of be in that role where you still have input on the offense, you still kind of control the structure, whether you call the plays or not? I don't really know, and I'm not sure that it matters, but you're the guy in control of everything. And you know, I think having someone that can hold everybody accountable and make sure that every single day the work is getting done and that there's no slacking off, um might be the head coach's most important role at the end of the day. And I think yeah. that's, you know, EB's strength. And so that's where the is see the guy in charge of the pass game conversation kind of gets lost to me because even if you take that off the table and you say, well, we just want to hire him in the CEO role, like that's perfect for him. That's what he's good at too. So he's good at these two things. Um, so you would think it would like be a benefit, but it almost seems like almost like an MVP voting where you got two guys on the same team and it almost gets like built against each other that, you know, you're trying to figure out which one you want to choose. What's like, well, you could just get both. And, uh, you know, I think that that's what he's bringing. And so, you know, for Washington this year, um obviously it'll be exciting to see him, you know, kind of full
2: reins of the offense and see what that looks like. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's that's interesting. It's why this whole this discussion of, is he calling plays? Is he not calling plays? Is that being held against him? And, you know, obviously there's another been other co- coordinators hired to be a head coach, including Matt Nagy, who were not, quote-unquote, calling the plays. But like you said the head coach can often become more of a ceo coach like ron rivera is effectively kind of that way jack del rio really deals with the defense and and rivera even though that was his side of the ball he's he 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 contributes he's involved but it's not his primary focus his primary focus from the football perspective is making sure the guys are in good headspace and you know keeping everybody on the same page and you know hey because obviously this place constantly has issues uh so you know keep them keep them keep them uh focused (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 for sure um but 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 okay so he is getting brought here to be the offensive coordinator and a play caller which is different at least a full-time play caller which is different than what happened um in kansas city this brings us to some interesting quotes that came out in the last 24 hours uh mccoy was your teammate in 2019 of course we all remember him the most from a, as a pro bowl running back with the eagles uh he was on fs1 uh i guess he's an analyst there i, I can't keep track of what everybody does but he was on one of the talking head shows and and this topic came up and obviously look there's been a lot of people who are frustrated if not angry that the enemy considering his resume consider you know that typically a person in that spot including the two people who were the coordinator before him. Uh, get hired as a head coach um, from that spot. He obviously has not, despite I think about 16 interviews with 15 different teams. And so McCoy is a, sort of been the rare person to this point, as far as I've seen, who's pushed back on this idea that the maybe deserves these things. And this is what he said in part. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, what you think, uh, the topic of him becoming a coordinator quote, What's his value? What makes him a good offensive coordinator? The problem is a lot of these people that go on social media and and say, "quote uh, He should be the guy for the job." They haven't played there, meaning Kansas City. I've been in the rooms where he's coaching, and he has nothing to do with the pass game at all. When the plays are designed, when the plays are designed, that's Andy Reid. When you talk about offensive coordinators. Uh, I can tell you what makes Brian Dayball with the Giants a very good coordinator. I can tell you about Andy Reid or Doug Peterson. But, er- but Eric Biennemi, what makes him good? When we watch the films of practices and we correct the wide receivers, the running backs, the quarterbacks, he doesn't talk in there. Andy Reid talks in there, end quote. And he went on to say a few other things that maybe we'll get into. Um, and, I, and you just laid out that, hey, I'm not in all these meetings, so I can't specifically say what he is or he is not doing. But again, you're in the locker room. You talk to guys. You know, when you have your own instincts about people, does any of that sound reasonable? Does it sound like a guy who was, and he was, was he only there for the one year? He wasn't there very long, right?
0: Yeah, he was, I think we picked him up. I don't know that he was there in training camp. And then, you know, he ended up probably not having the season he wanted. And, right. uh, you know, you can tell his feelings, obviously. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and look, obviously he's, he's, uh, you know, become a, 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 an analyst and a personality. And I know on his podcast, that he does with Brandon Marshall, they can get very candid and direct. So maybe that some of that is part of his uh, personality or shtick or whatever it is, but nonetheless, I mean, you know, he's been around the league and, and look, I mean, that, I think this is the big question that a lot of people have is what exactly is Eric bien uh doing? Again, you got Mahomes, you got Reed, what is that person doing but then also there's just like the personality aspect of it so what does what do you what do you kind of make of anything he just said
0: yeah i mean that's the whole point of kind of getting your own gig is now you actually get to be in control of it you know uh when if he wants to say peterson was the one helping to design the past plays and and be enemy wasn't you know that's those his words um naggy then wasn't the one doing it and yet when doug got hired away naggy assumed that role and now he starts to have more responsibility with the past game so that's just the natural order of things like if you want to say that you know coach reed was still in charge and enemy wasn't doing as much in the past game okay well now he's been there for what eight or ten years and he's learned all this information and now he's given his chance to go you know see what he can do as the offensive coordinator the one in control of that and he'll have a receivers coach and he'll have other assistants who it's all collaborative. You know, I don't think it's like just coach Reed is the only one who can do this. You know, I think that's kind of the genius of the staff's coach Reed builds is you've got guys from every position who are kind of helping in, in all regards. And so um, no one is ever quote unquote, like ready to do it until they're in that role. You know, you haven't done it until you're in that role. Um, So just by nature of making that argument, it's like, okay, even if he hasn't done it before, eventually shouldn't he be given the chance to like so now he's given the chance to um you know what makes a quarterback's coach uh under any you know say Sean McVay like he's lost a bunch of offensive coordinators to to be head coaches elsewhere the guys he's promoted from quarterbacks coach to you know offensive coordinator like what makes those guys capable they haven't done it before well that's the next step now you get to try your hand at it and see if you can handle it so this is just the natural progression of a hierarchy and a, and how things, you know, kind of play themselves out. So I don't really understand that argument in the sense that, like, so he's not able to learn from all this stuff, if, if that's your argument, and he's not able to be given the chance to see if he's able to do it. Um, and again, that's without knowledge of whether he's actually helping to install the stuff. Like, obviously, Coach is the dominant voice in the past game. I don't think that that was any different under Nagy or Peterson. Uh, that would be my guess. I mean, if Coach is doing install stuff to the receivers now, that's probably the same way he was doing it then. Um But eventually, you need to be given more responsibility. You need to be given the chance to do it. And when you've earned the right and you've been in those meetings for a decade with the guy, um the time has come to get that opportunity. So that's kind of the way I'd push back on it. And I, I just don't understand – even if you haven't done it before, that doesn't mean you don't deserve the opportunity to do it now.
1: Right. And, you know, it's like when when now that he's coming here, everybody's trying to figure out, OK, well, what kind of offense are they going to run? And they're pointing to all the things that Kansas City did. And I'm like, I, I have no idea. He may he may not want to run any of it. I, I don't know what he wants to do because he has not been in that position. Logically, you would like you said, you're you're in these rooms, you're, you're talking to Andy Reid, who clearly knows. What he's doing, you're around these other coaches. I mean, uh you know, Matt Nagy didn't work out with the Bears, but he was, you know, ele- elevated to a head coaching job with them. He's, he's, he's back in the building now as well. Uh, plus Mahomes, Chad Henney, whoever else is there, you think you're going to, you're getting some information about something, but I don't know what he's going to run. He may be completely different or go the exact same. And that's why it is like until he does it, how do you know? what's what I was saying, um, saying earlier. Um, That said, obviously, you know, where the enemy conversation, it's a little trickier sometimes is when it comes to, well, why hasn't he been given that opportunity the way you just mentioned with some other guys? Um, Obviously, you know, the the lack of minority hires in this league is a constant topic. It's a, it's an absolute legitimate topic um, just based on the number of uh, black and minority players in the league, relative to the number of coaches, clearly the numbers uh, don't mesh and and enemy has become uh, sort of the face of this topic when he so I don't know exactly I, I didn't calculate at what point that it becomes the most intense part of the BNME conversation but he starts getting um, interviews back when you were when, when you were with the, the the team did it at any point that what did you guys even I know players are really good about ignoring the outside so they so everybody says did you guys ever like were you aware a lot of the conversations about why BNM wasn't getting a job and was there other factors beyond just what we discussed with the unknown, him not calling plays, things like that.
0: Yeah. Those are the things that you don't know. And like, you know, you try asking people, but how many people can you really talk to that were in the interview meetings with the guy, you know, you, you probably have to talk to him or his agent and I don't really, I'm not going to ask you how the interviews went. Yeah. Um, it just becomes this weird thing and you don't understand, you know, why it's not happening for him. Um, obviously you're very aware of the general cycle, and especially obviously in Kansas City, Doug Leaves wins the Super Bowl, uh, Nagy leaves, they had that really good first year, and obviously things, you know, died out after that for the next couple. Um, so you just kind of assume, you know, he's the next guy up, he's really qualified. Um, he's getting interviews, and then it's not happening, then it's not happening, then it's not happening, and you're just not really sure why. And um, you know, it's unfortunate because Again, you look at the guys before him, those guys got, you know, promoted to being head coaches and, and they got that opportunity and it gets back to what I was saying originally, like, I don't know how valid the whole pass game thing is or not, and whether, you know, it's a knock against him that people are saying that he hasn't, you know, designed a, a pass game himself, Um but again, I, I think that's only part of the question, equation because I think he's so good at the other stuff that's required of being a head coach—the accountability, the day-to-day uh, kind of duties of being the voice of the team and making sure that the guys are bought in and ready to go. I think he's so good at that 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 alone should make him, you know, worthy of being able to run a team. Because you know, we started this conversation talking about you don't really know if a guy's going to be good as a head coach or not. And those are typically the coordinators that are getting promoted to like run the team and run their side of the ball. Right. But I think if you looked at EB as, again, the CEO only or that guy who's just a voice for the team, I think he's more than qualified to do that. And then you add on the offensive ability. And again, which, whatever level of comfort or he has with past game, you know, again, I, my argument is that. If he hasn't been as involved in that as, you know, an Aggie or Peterson before... Well, he's sure as heck been there the whole time, and he's learned a ton of information, and he also deserves that opportunity to, to showcase himself. So, um, you know, I think it's just it's a really well-rounded candidate from those two perspectives, and he's got uh, more than enough capability to do it. So, yeah, as a player, you just you don't really know what's going on. You know, these guys are getting interviewed. You know, Dave Tobe was in the the cycle for a couple of years, and you kind of understand that there's, you know, two- or three-year window that a guy gets hot, he gets interviewed, And it seems like if it doesn't work out for him in that window, you know, he starts getting uh, outcast a little bit in the following years because then teams are either now looking to hire again and they already interviewed him three years ago and passed on him. Or you start to wonder, like, well, if all these other teams didn't hire him, there must be something going on. Um, And that's just the thing that, you know, you have no idea from, you know, the player perspective, unless, um, you know, you're his agent or you're high up at a team level that you'd be able to, to be in those meetings or know about them.
1: Yeah, that's what's so interesting, right? Like if I, and we've all, well, I don't know about you because you've had you have a very different career than the rest of us have.
0: But like when we all go on
1: job interviews, I could interview with six different companies. The seventh company will have presumably no, almost no idea that I had those interviews or how I performed or whatever happened there. And therefore they're coming out looking at me clean and hopefully you're giving me a, a good value, a fair evaluation of what, what I'm bringing <laughs> to the table. In this case, everybody knows he's been interviewed umpteen times and like you said there's got to be some level of human nature to be like uh what's going on here how come the coordinator with now he didn't always have the the two titles but now has two titles all these other uh, he's part of this offense it's all these things doesn't get the job that's got to be uh a a fascinating uh part of all the human nature i guess you could say of, of the whole thing um let me ask you a football question before i let you go uh Washington needs a, an overhaul in its offensive line. They've said that out loud. This is not a secret. So now that the enemy is here, and as we said, we don't quite know what he's looking to do, but if he's taking some principles from the offense in Kansas City, what, what are some of the things you think they're going to be looking for in offensive linemen, really to any of the three positions I think they could use? Is there is there something there that you think kind of fits more with a, with a, what a Andy Reid and perhaps a enemy offense could look like?
0: I would say toughness is the biggest thing, you know, Evie's is going to want guys that can kick ass up front and that want to be physical and want to be nasty. And I think that's the thing he'll probably bring to an offense. That's maybe different than the coach Reed tree is he might lean into the run a little bit more in the play action. Um, Cause you know, he's a former running back. He's, he wants to run the ball at heart. And yeah. uh, his personality, that energy, that, that passion um, yeah. is about, being more physically dominant than the other team and uh, kind of imposing your will on them so I think that's probably the trait they would look to the most is if you got guys that are physical that want to be there every day and and want to destroy the guy in front of them you know you can coach those guys up those guys are easy to work with you know the accountability is there the passion's there the um, the work ethic is there and that's something also as a coach you know you don't want to coach that stuff you want guys who you can just know hey practice rolls around he's going to give it his all and he's going to be physical and he's going to bring it every day and so you know you look at like the trey smith and and uh kansas city who's you know the tone setter um you know i'm sure evie's going to be looking for guys like that that who that he can bring in that can set the tone for the whole offensive line and maybe lean a little bit more on on the run game and I'm sure. Again, it'll be you know, coach Reed's structure and system, and they'll still you know chuck it down the field and run all the fun stuff that that you know all the other coach Reed disciples run. But I think that the physicality and especially uh, having guys up front that you know want to destroy uh, defensive linemen, I, I would guess that that's what he's going to look at first and foremost.
1: And a uh, lot. I have one other football question. Uh, Sam Howe obviously is a big equation for Washington. Second year quarterback, one career start, fifth round pick. I think he's intriguing, but you know. We'll see where this goes, but he's got a strong arm. He's got a lot of mobility. Uh Again, nobody in the world is comparing him to Mahomes, but like those are some of the basic traits that Mahomes has, even you know, e- even when he doesn't have to put on the Superman cape. Uh, how much, how much do you think is that going to benefit what what enemy is potentially looking to do based on what you guys did in Kansas City? Does that the fact that Hal has some of those uh, physical traits?
0: Yeah, I think that's a a definite benefit, and, you know, again, my guess is the new offense will lean a little bit more into the run game, which probably means some more under center stuff, some more, you know, kind of power and gap schemes, and it's a little bit easier to get a guy on the run from under center with more of the McVay-Shanahan kind of zone play action uh, game, you know, Kansas City is... They, they went to more under center stuff this year, but even so it wasn't uh to move the pocket quite as much. And in the past game, you know, the play actions tended to be more traditional kind of drop back play actions as opposed to true bootlegs or move the pocket plays. And so, I would imagine, you know, those will get built into the offense a lot more, and those can be much easier plays for quarterbacks as well if they're comfortable with it. You know, you have to get used to turning your back to the defense, but there's also an element of trust that you're trusting that the action and the run game and the sell, you know, get those linebackers to suck up, and you're able to, you know, buy that time to to get some balls over the top of them. So um, that's what I would see. You know, I think the genius of Mahomes is that he's running Andy Reid's offense. He just adds the Mahomes layer on top of it. But that offense isn't successful as a street ball offense. You know, it's not Pat running around making stuff happen every play. It's him 80% of the time running the Andy Reid offense. And then there's 20% where he can escape the pocket and then do magical things. So I think that's the element that people lose is that it's still at heart a West Coast offense, which is just the most timing-based offense. And so if you're not able to do that stuff from the pocket... That's where the structure of things falls apart. And then you can't do all the fun stuff on top of it because you need that base system to work to then branch out into the other stuff. So I would imagine that's you know what EB would lean into if you've got a guy who's got a good arm, he's able to throw on the run, he's able to move a little bit. You know those are plays that offensive linemen love. Uh, we love nakeds and bootlegs. We love you know kind of more hard aggressive play action to get the defense on their heels. So it's easier for the O line. It's easier for the quarterback. It simplifies things. You know half the time if he's you know run into one side of the field, it's a half field read anyway. So you don't have to you know scan the whole thing and look for everybody. So those are just you know the simplicity plays that make things easier on everybody. And you know you hear about Sean Payton talking about going to Denver and you know, we only need Russ to really have six to eight, you know, high level plays per game. You know, we want to make things a lot easier on him. Well, that's, you know, what he's talking about, the quick passes, the play actions, the run game, you know, you have these plays that, you know, aren't plays off for the quarterback, but instead of having 40 plays in a game where it's stressful mentally, uh, you got to figure everything out. They're harder plays, they're dropbacks. You know, let's make everybody's job easier. You know, (laughs) at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is winning. And so, I don't think anyone's going to be like well you know I'd rather have 28 difficult plays and make things more challenging like no I'd rather have eight difficult plays and 20 easy ones and you know I think that's you know what Evie's probably going to be looking to bring is to blend that run the play action with the quarterback skill set and if he's good at doing it um you know that's just an added bonus
1: do you want to do uh analyst stuff like I, I don't know exactly what you've been doing since uh you, you stopped playing football but do you want to do this stuff because uh, I you know, I, I see you on Twitter and I read this stuff, but I don't, you know, yeah, I, I don't hear you. So do you actually want to do this? <laughs> I think you could do this.
0: Yeah, you know, I, it's definitely a strong consideration. Uh, I enjoy doing it. I love watching football. So that'll always be part of my life. I, I don't know exactly what that looks like. You know, I don't uh, know if that's on TV or in, in what role, but I do, like I said, kind of started this with, you know, I, I like teaching and I like sharing and I feel like I do have a good amount of knowledge and so, um, just trying to work towards what that looks like for the future and kind of the best way to get the info out. But, you know, I feel like stuff kind of gets lost on on the talking head shows. Everything's a lot more about the engagement and the clicks and a little bit less about uh, the specifics. And then you get into offensive line specifics and that's so much more of a niche category. So. I feel like there's some role, some, some way to do it. I just don't quite know how, but yeah, I'd imagine yeah. I'd, I would stay in the the football world and, you know, teach people about it and kind of give my eye on things. All right. Well, until uh, Mitch gets a, a, a gig, uh, you know, is becomes like that. I, I don't know if saying that the
1: next Ross Tucker is a, is a compliment, <laughs> but Ross Tucker, he's really good. He's an offensive lineman Um, at Mitch Schwartz, 71 on Twitter, go follow him there, read all of his, uh, stuff and, and do it so you're not just waiting for somebody to retweet it into your timeline you actually are seeing what's happening uh from his mind in real time uh pleasure i really appreciate it. is there anything else for you to 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 to, to mention uh you know uh, you've got other endeavors perhaps that i'm not even aware of
0: no i think that's it for me i uh i enjoyed coming on and talking a little ball and appreciate you having me yeah awesome thanks so much